Thank you, Steve, and thanks to Matt for sharing. Uh, good morning, everybody. My name is Dan. I'm the college and young adults pastor here, and it really is a joy to be with you this morning, uh, to open the word together, uh, to worship together. So glad that you're here joining us. Uh, I want to start by showing you a picture of two people that you probably will recognize. Here on the left, we have Albert Einstein. Here on the right, we have Steve Jobs. Both of these men are brilliant thinkers, experts in their field, and the contributions that they made will be remembered forever. But there, there's something else that these two individuals have in common. Albert Einstein, we, we see it in his hair, right? He's kind of known for his, his mad scientist hair. And uh, there are some physicians today that actually think he had, a, he had a condition, a medical condition called uncombable hair syndrome. Apparently, that's a thing. Um, but also, tradition has it that the reason that Einstein's hair looked this way is because he intentionally chose not to comb it because he felt that he had other more important things to do. So he just said, I I'm just not going to worry about doing this because I've got better ways to spend my time. Steve Jobs, not so much a crazy mad scientist hair, but he wore the same outfit every day. These blue jeans, black turtleneck. Because he wanted to eliminate as much decision fatigue as he could, right? That, that amount of, of mental space, mental energy that it takes from doing big or even small tasks. And so he said, I'm just going to wear the same thing every day so that I can devote more energy and maybe a little bit more time to things that are more important. Albert Einstein and Steve Jobs both understood one fundamental truth. Sometimes less is more. Sometimes we have to cut things out of our lives in order to make space for what actually matters the most. And this is something uh, that we see in Scripture as well. This is a principle that the church has held onto uh, for, for the last 2,000 years. And this is, this is a truth that is more important for us in our current cultural moment than it probably ever has been. We live in one of the wealthiest places in all of the world, at one of the richest times in all of history. And, and one of the byproducts of that is that our lives are so full. Right? They're so full in so many different ways. Do you ever feel like your life is full? Right? Like it's just bursting at the seams. If you jumped on the Marie Kondo bandwagon a few years ago, your, your house is probably full of stuff, right? That's why you have to give time and energy to figuring out how to organize it, because it's, it's full of stuff. But, but our lives are more than just full of stuff, right? Our schedules also tend to be very full. Lindsay and I, I counted this week, we have a combined seven Google calendars that we share with one another to keep track of all that's going on. And sometimes I just open up my calendar and just looking at it makes me want to grab another cup of coffee, right? Anybody feel that way? Like life is just so full. There's so many things pulling for my time. But there's also so many things pulling for our money, right? Our budgets tend to be very full as well. The, the, the cost of living here, of rent, of mortgage, of, 
uh, a car payment, of, of medical expenses, groceries, everything is so expensive, our budgets tend to be very full as well. And here we are in December, we're two weeks away from Christmas, and, and there's, there's holiday parties that are planned, and, and, and there's gifts that have been bought or need to be bought, and, and there's all of these things that are, are filling up our time and, and taking our finances even more this time of year than we might normally experience. Life, life is so full, just feels like it's bursting at the seams sometimes. And I wonder if you ever stop and ask yourself, in the midst of, of all of this, what's it all for? Why am I working so hard? Why am I running so fast? Is my life giving me the things that I'm actually seeking after? And that's a scary question to ask sometimes, because sometimes if we really look at it and we ask why we're kind of doing all of these things, we might realize that our life is not actually producing the results that we're hoping for. Jesus came and he said, I'm coming to offer abundant life. And that's a life that's full, but it's not full in the sense that our lives are full. It's a life that's full of love, joy, and peace. And those are the things that we're after, right? But sometimes we haven't really constructed our lives in such a way that's very conducive to receiving those things. We're in a four-week series in this Advent season, these four weeks leading up to Christmas, where we're looking at the things of earth, right? We're thinking about how the incarnation, Jesus taking on flesh, living in a body, living on this earth, gives deep spiritual significance to the earthly things in our lives. And last week, we looked at generosity, the, the idea of how, how giving our first fruits, it, it both gives value to our stuff while also freeing us up from slavery to it. And this week, we're going to look at the idea of simplicity, which, which is just looking at our lives and saying, how can I create space for what really matters most. This is one of the classic Christian spiritual disciplines. Simplicity, is, it's creating space in our lives for what really matters most. And when our lives are so full, that can be really difficult to do. But we need to understand what Albert Einstein and Steve Jobs, and yes, Jesus Christ understood to be true. That, that though our culture would have us believe that more is always better, the truth is that oftentimes less is actually more. That we need to cut things out of our lives in order to make space for what's most important. And that's going to be the path to, to uh, living this abundant life that Jesus had. So, so last week we looked at the idea of giving this morning, what we're going to do as we think about simplicity is we're going to think about how we structure our lives in such a way that we have the capacity to give generously. That's what the doctor, this, this idea of simplicity, this practice of simplicity is all about. In his book, Celebration of Discipline, Richard Foster says this about simplicity. Simplicity is freedom. Duplicity is bondage. Simplicity brings joy and balance Duplicity brings anxiety and fear. The Christian discipline of simplicity is an inward reality 
that results in an outward lifestyle. So I want to think together this morning, both about that inward reality and that outward lifestyle. Jesus uh, in Matthew 6.33 says it this way, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. What Jesus is saying is he's talking about that inward reality. And, And that inward reality is meant to be such that there is one thing that we are seeking after. One thing that is driving us, and that is Christ and his kingdom. Jesus gives this message in the middle of of the Sermon on the Mount. It's the section of the Sermon on the Mount that's his longest, most extended teaching on money. And and as Jesus does this, nowhere, he acknowledges that that we have all these kinds of things that we desire, all these things that we want, some of which we actually need, right? He talks about food, shelter, clothing, And and in nowhere in what Jesus says, does he say that these things are not important. In nowhere in what Jesus says, does he say that we should not seek after these things. In fact, the incarnation actually gives dignity to, to the physical stuff of life. These are needs that we have. And if we don't acknowledge that, that these are needs, we invalidate the suffering of those who don't have access to these things. And yet Jesus says, we shouldn't seek after them as primary. We shouldn't seek after them for their own sake, that there should be something else that is driving us, a primary desire that we have, a more foundational thing that we're seeking after, and that is God and his kingdom. That that's meant to be our our one thing, our chief aim, our highest ambition. So if you look at your life, if you look at what's, what's right in the center of your heart, what is that thing that is driving you to do all of the things that you do. What do you find there? Is it the the desire to have as much fun as possible, to maximize pleasure? Is it the the desire to accumulate as much power or or exert as much influence? What is that thing right at the center of you that drives you and dictates the way that you make decisions, the way that you live your life? Jesus says that one thing, right at the center should be a desire to seek after God and his kingdom. And and that is the heart of simplicity, trying to cultivate that inward reality where we are seeking God and his kingdom as the most primary thing about us. But this inward reality has an outward lifestyle that comes along with it. So the way that we figure out what our inward reality is, is by looking at that outward lifestyle. Our life will tell us what's most important inside. But there's more to it than just that because our lifestyle, it doesn't just reveal what's going on in our hearts. It actually has has the ability to, to change and to form what's happening inside of us. This is why when we think about spiritual disciplines, we think about what we do with our bodies or as we'll look at today, what we do with our time and our money. Because the, what, what we do with our lifestyle, with our bodies, with our time, with our money, actually has the ability to shape that inward reality. So, so there's two aspects, two primary aspects of our lifestyle this morning that I want us to think about as we think about shaping that inward reality. And that's the way that we use our time and our money. It, it's what our schedules look like, and what our budgets 
look like? And and there's lots of places that we could go, lots of different stories uh, that we could look at in the gospels that talk about the importance of these two things. Both, Both of these two things are very important to Jesus. In the Gospel of Luke, we get a number of stories that that address each of these things. So I want to look first at a story that addresses the way that we build our schedules, what we do with our time. This is a story where Jesus has an encounter with two of his dear friends, Mary and Martha. We read about this in Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 38. It says this, Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village. And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. So here we have Jesus invited into the home of his dear friends, Mary and Martha. And Martha just jumps in to that role of host as she would be expected to do. She's putting the coffee on. She's pulling the sourdough out of the oven. She's doing everything that she can do to make sure that Jesus feels welcome in her home. Her sister Mary is just sitting there on the floor in front of Jesus, listening. Now, she could have jumped up. She She could have said, how can I help? She could have said, what else can I do? What else needs to be done? But she didn't do that. She chose to sit there to just be with Jesus, to listen to him, to learn from him. Martha, we're told, is distracted. She's distracted by all of these things that she has going on. And then we read this after that, verse, verse 40. And she, that is Martha, went up to Jesus and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister left me alone to serve? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken from her. Jesus says that there's one thing that's more important. Martha is busy serving Jesus. And he says, there's there's one thing that's that's, that's most important and you've missed it a little bit. Now, now I want to pause here because sometimes I think when we talk about this story, Martha gets a, a little bit of a bad rap. Right? Be a Mary, not a Martha. But, but I just want to say that for a lot of us, a good first step would be being a Martha, right? That, that, that we are also very distracted and very anxious, but it's not with serving, right? It's with work, it's with Amazon, it's with Instagram, it's with Netflix. We also find ourselves very distracted it would be a step in the right direction to be distracted by serving. But, but Jesus doesn't want us to stay there, right? He, he doesn't just want us to be Martha's because he, said, he says, even that is, is a distraction in and of itself from that which is most important, which is to do what, what Mary has chosen to do, to sit with Jesus, to learn from Jesus, to build a relationship with Jesus. But building a relationship is something that takes time. It takes margin. It takes space in our schedules. But oftentimes our schedules are so full and our minds are so preoccupied that we don't give that the time and the attention that it needs to actually build that relationship. 
I have a little confession. When I go to get gas at Costco, uh, as I'm pulling up to the pump, I hit the button to open you know, the, the, the door to the, to the gas tank. So that when I get out of the car, I, I pull out my wallet as I'm walking up to the pump and pull out my Costco card and stick it in right when I get there, right? Trying to be as efficient as possible. While it's processing my card, I take the nozzle and I stick it in the car. And then I take my credit card, I put that in the machine, and, and I hit the button for the kind of gas that I want. And then I wait unpatiently for uh, two seconds while it processes with my credit card. And then uh, I, I start the, the gas flowing, and then I always make sure that I've got my phone in my pocket so I can pull it out and I can answer an email or read an article or maybe just scroll Instagram. And then as soon as the gas is done, I put the nozzle back and I jump back in the car and turn it on and my podcast starts playing at 1.5 speed, right where I left off. Does anybody feel like, like that's how you live your life sometimes? Like just trying to be as efficient as possible, trying to just cram in so much so that no moment is wasted. But if we've scheduled every moment, then there's no margin to just notice what God might be doing. To, to notice the blessings that, that he's given you, the gifts that he's given you, the invitations that he's laying before you. I have a, a rule in my life or maybe more of a guideline where for the first hour after I wake up each morning and the last hour before I go to bed each evening, I, I don't look at my phone. I just set it aside just to create space, Because right? I know once I go there, it's, it's just gonna suck me in, right? I'm gonna open up my calendar, I'm gonna open up my email, and my mind is gonna be occupied with all these things. I, I just wanna leave some space, right? Create some margin. That's a small thing, but there, there's big things too, right? Things in our lives that take up large chunks of time, large portions of our energy, and sometimes if we are going to pursue that which is most important, we need to learn how to say no to things that are in and of themselves maybe very good, right? We need to be able to say no to some things that are good so we can say yes to that which is most important. Spending time with God, building a relationship with him, pursuing him with other people, joining a connect group, starting a Bible study, serving in ministry, and oftentimes we feel like these things just don't have space in our lives. And you know what? We're probably right. So we need to back up a step and we need to say, what can I cut out? Right? What can I remove from my schedule to create some space, to create some margin so that I can pursue God first and foremost? This is a difficult thing to do, right? Martha didn't quite understand it. She struggled with this. Mary, this seemed to be a little bit easier for. She sat at Jesus' feet. She listened. She created space to just be with him. But even if we are able to create space in our schedules, that still doesn't take us far enough. We also need to be able to create space in our budgets, right? Especially if we're thinking about giving and giving generously. Now, when we look at the scriptures to see what Jesus has to say about money and the way we spend our money, there's lots of different stories that we could look at, lots of different places that we could go. But I want to look a little bit at the story of the rich young ruler. The story comes later in Luke, Luke 18. And what we see there is that this young man of considerable wealth and power comes to Jesus and he says, what do I have to do to be saved? And so Jesus lists off for him some of the Ten Commandments. 
and, and the guy says, check, done all that, right? I'm, I'm good to go there. And so then Jesus replies to him with these words in, in Luke 18, starting in verse 22. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad for he was extremely rich. As Jesus looked at this man, he knew. He, he, he knew him. He knew that he was a good man. He knew that, that he had good morals, that he loved his family, that he contributed to society. Jesus knew. And he knew that he had one thing, right? one thing that he was seeking after, but it wasn't God and his kingdom. It, it was his money. And, and we don't know exactly what it was about money that, that had such a, a hold on him. Right? Was it the security that it provided? Was it, was it the opportunity that it promised for his children? Was it the power that comes from being wealthy? We're not, we're not exactly sure what it was, but whatever it was, he, he had such a hold on this that when, when Jesus invited him, asked him, commanded him to let it go, he couldn't do it. And you see, Jesus isn't really trying to take anything from him. He's saying, if you will give this, then you will really experience what this abundant life is all about. But this guy wasn't able to do it. And so we read what happens next. Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, how difficult is it for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God? For it's easier for the camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And those who heard it said, then who can be saved? But he said, what is impossible with man is possible with God. You see, there's some inherent dangers that come with having money. One of them is just the danger that we would trust in our wealth and our resources rather than trusting in the Lord. Another danger is that we might use our money for more harm than for good. But, but there's another danger that's it's a more subtle danger, one that we maybe don't think about as much, that's, that's not as obvious. And that's the danger that we would fall prey to consumerism. Right? Consumerism is what drives our culture. It drives industry, it drives politics, and oftentimes it might even drive our spiritual life. But consumerism, it's not the same thing as wealth. There's a difference between these two things. Because owning things is different than just acquiring things. In his book, um, Be, uh, sorry, Being Detached, uh, he, he, William Cavanaugh talks about this dynamic a little bit about what consumerism is. What, what is a consumeristic culture really all about? And this is what he says. This is insightful. He says, what really characterizes consumer culture is not attachment to things, but detachment. People do not hoard money, they spend it. People do not cling to things, they discard them and buy new other things. And William Kavanaugh goes on to, to talk about the distinction between owning things 
and buying things. You see, because when we own something, we can actually appreciate it. And sometimes this can actually give value and, and dignity to our stuff, which is what we're talking about in this series. Jesus came to earth. He took on a physical body. He's giving dignity to the stuff of our life. But in our consumeristic culture, we're actually taught to devalue stuff. Because when, when we buy something, we get that, that emotional high, right? It feels good. It feels exciting. It looks flashy. It holds our attention. But then soon it looks a little bit less flashy. It holds our attention a little bit less. And then we move on and we just want to push that thing to the side and buy a new thing. Right? Instead of really enjoying it, instead of appreciating it and giving it dignity, we just consume we look to buy and buy and buy and spend and spend and spend. You know, for that rich young man, for him, he, he seems like maybe he was more of a hoarder, right? Maybe for him, it was more uh, about holding on to the money that he had. And Jesus saw into that and he spoke into that and he said, give it all away and then you will experience abundant life. But if Jesus stepped into our culture, our culture of consumerism, I wonder if his message might be a little bit different. I wonder if his message would be, don't buy that new iPhone. D don't take that expensive vacation. Right? Don't just keep spending money and, and just pushing to the side the stuff that, that you already have. Right? Don't just keep spending more and more and more and more. Instead, take what you have. Appreciate it. Savor it and then give away the rest, right? Create space in your budgets so that you can be radically generous. T take that money that you could spend to buy that new thing, to take that trip, whatever it might be, and, and save it, I invest it, right? L let it grow so that in five, 10, or, or 40 years from now, you can be so ridiculously generous, right? How amazing would that be? A friend of mine recently um, got a letter from the IRS that said that he had been giving away a disproportionately high percentage of his income and that they wanted to see receipts. Yes, like let's get more of those letters, right? Let's be those kind of people that give away radical percentages of our money. But for most of us, we probably can't do that in, in the way that we're living life. If we fall prey to consumerism, that spending is just gonna eat up all of that extra. Jesus might say, just stop buying, right? Save it, invest it, give it away, but don't just stop, don't just keep consuming. We need to be able to create space, create space in our schedules, to create space in our budgets, to create space in our homes so that we're not distracted by all that we have going on and we can be devoted to that one thing. I wanna share a, a story about a way that this has been personal to me recently. I really enjoy running uh, and I love trail running. That's my favorite, just being you know, out, out on the trails, in the woods, with a friend, working hard. I, I, I love everything about that. And it hit me about a year ago that if I enjoy trail running, I would probably really enjoy mountain biking 
because it's all of the same benefits with a huge adrenaline rush. I was like, that, that sounds awesome. Right, I've, got, I've got three boys. They're not old enough to mountain bike yet, uh, but I'm just picturing like 10 years from now, throwing the bikes in the truck, heading up to the mountains and just treading down on the weekends, right? That, that sounds awesome. And I'm not in any way saying that, that owning a mountain bike is wrong or that spending your weekends shredding down the mountain on it would not be right. And, and I'm not even saying that, that five years from now, if you come and find me, I might not be wicked good on a mountain bike, okay? Maybe it'll happen. But I started talking with the Lord about this decision, right? He cares about my money. He cares about my time. And so I started talking with him about this. And I started counting the cost of what it would take to do this. A, a mountain bike costs some money, right? I, I could afford one, maybe, maybe a used one, but I, I, I could buy one if I wanted to. But I don't have a lot of extra space in my budget, right? So there's going to be a cost to that. What else could I spend that money on? What else could I do with that money? And then there's just the physical space, right? I got to keep it in my garage, okay? But we've got our laundry machines in our garage and we've got bins full of kids' clothes that are too small for the, the, the biggest but not big enough for the youngest, right? All this stuff. We got tools. There's not a lot of extra space in the house. And then there's the time. Because here's the thing. I don't know how to ride a mountain bike. <laughs> so I would have to learn how to ride a mountain bike. And if I'm going to do that well, that's going to take a lot of time. Right? That's going to be a big investment of my time and energy. And I certainly don't have a lot of that just lying around. So, so I started talking about this with the Lord, right? Just, just for me, right? Not for you, for me. Is this the right decision to make? And what I felt in that moment, as I talked with God about this, was the call to simplicity. Right? The, the call to say no. The call to create some margin, to, to leave space in my budget, to leave space in my schedule, to leave space in my house to just simplify or keep things simple. So I wonder for you, how might the Lord be inviting you into an attitude of simplicity this year? Right? We're, we're two weeks out from Christmas, okay? Uh, Gifts have already been bought, if you're a little bit ahead of where I am. Uh, they've already been bought. Uh, parties have already been planned. The schedule is full. As you look at the next week, you might not find a lot of margin. But I bet, I bet if you took a few minutes to think about it, you could find some. You could find a way to create some space. And then we're into the new year. And the new year is a great opportunity to take an inventory of your life. How are you spending your money? How are you spending your time? How, how are you acquiring new things? What are your spending habits like? Just take an inventory and then talk with the Lord. God, where, where can I create space? What might you be inviting me to say no to? How can I leave a little extra room, a little extra margin to just be, to, to, to be with you, to be with my brothers and sisters, to just be. How can I create some margin to pursue that which is most important? Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God. Right? Seek first, that's, that's the internal attitude that we wanna have. And then we look at our life and say, how can I build a life 
that is helpful to that end. So I would encourage you this weekend, maybe this afternoon, or at some point in the next couple days, start with just a few moments, right? A few moments of prayerful conversation with the Lord where you just kind of look ahead to the next couple weeks. Lord, where could I create some space for you? I wanna invite you to stand and we're gonna move back into a time of worship. And as we get ready to, to sing, uh, let's just pray together. Lord, you are, are so good and you have given us so many good gifts and we're so grateful. We wanna receive these things with an open arm. The people that you've brought into our lives, the things that you've given us, the spaces that you have created for us. Lord, we are so grateful for all of this. And yet, Lord, the desire of our heart deep down inside of us, Lord, we want to seek you first. We want to seek your kingdom first. So I pray that you would give us the wisdom and the discernment to be able to structure our lives in such a way that we have space for you. And that then you might free us up to give radically and generously of our time and of our money. Lord, these things don't even belong to us. They belong to you. And we wanna worship you with them. Help us to do that, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name.